birth control Christianity has a lack of active commitment, has a lack of discipline for spiritual growth, and a lack of a deep hunger for the things of God. And it's a Christian lifestyle that's gonna end up in a lack of fulfillment, a lack of joy, a lack of peace, and possibly some confusion as to what's going wrong when you think that you're saved and you don't know why you're not growing as a Christian. And so as we read this passage, and as I read this beforehand, I began to think to myself, what is immediately known? What can I see right off the bat just from reading this? Because as we just read, it's not a riddle. It's not a parable that's hard to understand. It's not a whole lot of deep um, metaphors or analogies in it. It's pretty straightforward and blunt, blunt and to the point. It's the first thing that stuck out to me is it's on an individual level. As I already mentioned, this is about one man. It says, a sluggard, a man lacking sense. When the passerby of this vineyard walked by, he didn't see a family, he didn't see a wife, he didn't even see the man that owned it. He just knew that it belonged to a sluggard. And he could tell that it belonged to a sluggard because of the condition of the vineyard. There was no, like I said, there was no family, there was no kids. He didn't even speak to the man. And this tells me that this is about you and God. This is about me and God. This is about us as an individual and the position of our hearts toward our Father. It's about God wanting an intimate, personal relationship with you and knowing him, not just of him. You see, when I married my wife, I knew of her. I knew who she was. But as we've grown, I've gotten to know her in a, in, in a deeper way. When you're a child, you know who your parents are. And as you grow up and as you mature, then you truly know who they are. You learn how they discipline. You learn how they they raise you. You learn how um, their expectations for you. And you don't know those things until you spend time with them and you learn these things. It's obvious from a glance as this passerby went by the vineyard, it was obvious that This man was giving something to possess, something to care for, something to nurture. It was also clear that he was unappreciative and neglectful toward it. Now, these are all things that describe, like, the presence, the presentation of this man's vineyard. It doesn't speak to his personality. Because you may be a Christian that has a vineyard of your own, as we all do. We've all been gifted life. We've all been gifted a vineyard. But you may be the nicest person in the world. You may open doors for the ladies. You may be the kindest person. You may be very giving. You might be the person that everybody loves. You don't curse. You don't steal. You don't commit murder. You don't do anything crazy. You don't have an addiction to pornography or drugs or alcohol. You might be the greatest person in everybody's eyes, but that doesn't speak to your vineyard. You see, this man may not have been a bad man, He may have been liked by everybody else, but never never the fact he was still a sluggard and he was still lazy and he was still neglectful of what God had given him. And without a word spoken, he's given an impression of who he was to anybody who looked upon his vineyard. We see that the vineyard had thorns and nettles across the ground. It speaks to there used to be a rich soil. It's a soil that there was life possible. There was growth possible. But he had allowed influence to come in and uh, sort of choke it out. There was a stone wall immediately seen that was broken down. 
we can tell that it was not maintained, it was not reinforced, it was not built upon. And if you're not careful as a Christian, you can have an unbalance of working for God and time spent for God versus time spent with God. It's very easy for us to get so busy and so preoccupied volunteering or being here or being there, and we forget and we neglect being one-on-one on our knees in our Bible, praying to God, and just working on the relationship to get to know him on a personal level. So this morning, I want to look at the, the three things, the person, the vineyard, and the stone wall, and how it's going to relate to our lives and our spiritual walk. First off, the person. And as we get into this, it's important to understand that in this era of time, in this culture, agriculture was a very prominent trait. It was a very prominent trade. Your respect was either earned or it was lost, depending on how well you cultivated or neglected your vineyard. So it's safe to say that if you owned a land that was rich in soil, if you owned land, if you inherited it or bought it, if you were in possession of it, and it was a land that was rich in soil, set aside for cultivating, it's safe to say that you had an understanding of what was to be expected. It was expected to produce goods out of it, good fruit, if you will. But this man lacked sense. He knew what was to be expected, but he was just too lazy to put in the work. He wanted all the reward without any of the work to, to earn the reward. And there's many believers in the church today that are in the position of the sluggard when it comes to their walk of faith. You see, we just want to coast. We want to set it on cruise control and just go. And when the rains come and the storms come, we want to keep our hands off the wheel. And we don't want to put our hands on the wheel and trust God to keep us in control. We don't want to put in the work. And we have a moment of salvation. We get overjoyed and we get all these amazing moments in our lives and we get this transformation of our heart, and then we realize that that excitement starts settling down, and there's a role and responsibility, and there's work to be put in. But we're not willing to do it, and we grow complacent. And we become comfortable on the top of our hill in our vineyard. See, the Christian life, you're going to have valleys. Some are deeper than others. Some are pretty shallow. But you're going to have a valley in your life, and you're going to have multiple valleys. But too many Christians want to be complacent and sit on the top of that hill and just find their lawn chair, get their glass of lemonade, kick their feet up, and say, I'm on my hill. It's nice up here. It's comfortable. I can feel the breeze. I don't want to go back into the valley because I know it's down there. But they forget that they've been changed. They've been created new. And this time, God will be with them in the valley. But they're complacent, and they don't want to go back into that valley. Foolishly, we think that we can grow in our faith from the top of the hill. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, if you're not down in the valley, if you're not trusting God with the valley that he's allowed to come into your life, You're not going to be producing endurance. You're not going to be gaining character. You're not going to be gaining hope. And these are all things that are going to be essential to the Christian walk. The Christian walk is not an easy walk. The hilltop is where the enemy will begin his attack in your life because you are complacent, because you are off your guard. 
You're easily caught off guard, and it makes it easy for the enemy when we are what causes us to stumble by our sheer complacency. You don't have to do anything, yet you're causing yourself to stumble by doing nothing. In my life, I have come to look forward to the next valley. My wife will tell you that she is not a big fan of this concept because she's married to me, and when I'm in a valley, she's in it with me. But we grow stronger in our faith in the valley. If you have a constant struggle and worry in your life, if you're always sitting in constant lack of hope or doubt or anxiety, you might want to shift your perspective a little bit and understand the purpose of God's valleys, the purpose of the valleys and the trials in your life. Go back to Romans and read and trust the Lord that he's building your endurance, that he's building your character, that he's building your hope. It makes me think of probably one of the deepest valleys that I've had in my life. Uh, It's a valley that resulted in probably the most substantial part of my spiritual growth. And it's a valley that taught me how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. See, because when I'm comfortable on top of the hill, I become uncomfortable. I look forward to the next valley. And it brings to mind, if you know, some of you know, some of you don't. But I had a daughter that was born June of 2006, shortly after I started the police academy. Uh, Her name was Alexis. We called her Lexi. She was born two months premature. She had a lot of um, struggles. She had a lot of health issues that couldn't be explained. There were medical anomalies. And she was hooked up to about five different machines. She had a deformity. She had five surgeries. At one point, she was flown to Kansas City and back. Uh, One of her surgeries was a tracheotomy. So she had a trach right here in her throat, in her neck. And because of that, she couldn't cry. She couldn't make any sounds. During her five months and ten days before she passed on December 11th, she uh, was home for about a week combined time, total time. And on the Monday of the week I graduated the police academy, she passed about 2.30 in the morning. And before that, she found out as a five-month-old baby girl that if she would hold her breath, all the alarms on her machines would go off and we'd come running to her crib. And so as soon as we got to her crib, she would start breathing again and she would smile. And we just found out that, well, she's just, she's just playing us a little bit. She wants her attention. She's going to find a way to get her attention. And it was in that moment that God taught me that I didn't grasp onto at the time. But God taught me, if your five-month-old baby girl that can't even make a sound. If she can go through more in five months than you'll ever experience in your life, and she can find a way to smile, then I have no reason to not look for joy in anything. I have no reason to not smile in my life. And so, yes, I'm a goofy person. Yes, I love to have fun. Sometimes it might be to my detriment. Sometimes I get self-conscious that people don't take me seriously enough. But I'll tell you, I take what I do for God very seriously, but I'm going to have fun doing it. And I have my daughter, and I have God's lessons to thank for that. I have that valley to thank for that. You see, there is a call and there's a purpose for every single person that God has brought into this world. There's a call on every one of your lives. There's a purpose written for every one of your lives before you're even a thought in your parents' mind. 
You were not born as a blank slate, as this world would have you believe. Nobody is born as a blank slate, and the world has a marker ready to write on that whiteboard of your chest or of your heart. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. We all have a calling. We all have a purpose. God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make blank slates. He has a reason for you to be on this earth. He has a contribution for you to put to his kingdom. And we need to be diligent to find your calling. We need to not be complacent and then wonder why, when we're sitting on top of this hill, why we don't have any fire. Like, Lord, I know I'm saved. You told me I'm saved. Why don't I grow in spirit? Why don't I do this? Why don't I have a drive to do that? And we see the spiritually mature being diligent in seeking their calling while we're sitting on the top of our hill wondering instead of working. See, this isn't a message of sheltering yourself where oftentimes you get saved and you're like, okay, I got to make sure I'm not sinning. I got to make sure I hide myself away, find my bubble, put myself in a little shed and just avoid sinning. This isn't a message about avoiding sinning. This is a message about allowing the valleys in your life. This is a message about not being complacent. It's a message about pursuing righteousness, as we read about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where we're told to flee from our youthful passions, and we're told to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Don't be deceived that you're doing your part because you exchanged your wardrobe for Jesus t-shirts. Don't be deceived that you're doing your part to grow spiritually because you share things on social media or you made a post or you share the verse of the day. Those aren't bad things, but that is not your role in the kingdom of God. We as a people, we as Christians are called to an active faith. Which brings me to the vineyard. The condition of your vineyard will speak to the priority of your spiritual life. Just like it did with this man in in Proverbs. And with you being the owner, without speaking to any passerby, would a passerby know who your vineyard belongs to? Simply off of your actions, your behaviors, your speech. If you were asleep or if you were a mute and somebody walked by and they just took a look at your life, would they know that your vineyard is dedicated to God or not? Does it blend into all the other vineyards that aren't dedicated to God? In this text, there was no interaction with the owner, but he was able to learn a great deal about the man solely by the condition of his vineyard. He could tell that he was a procrastinator. He had a little bit of sleep, a little bit of slumber. He just rested his hands just a little bit, and it was enough to send his vineyard into turmoil. And so just as we must make a choice of what we do with Jesus, and by not making a choice, you're making a choice, we also must make a choice of what we do with our vineyard. We must make a choice on what it's going to look like, how we're going to care for it. We must make a choice on who we will allow to work in our vineyard. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So what company is in your vineyard? 
Who are you allowing to enter your vineyard and work in your vineyard? What type of seeds are you allowing to be planted in your vineyard? Because there's all sorts of type of seeds. You've got to know which marketplaces to go to. You've got to know which, which, which farmer's markets have good seed, seed that's replantable. In Luke 8.11, we read what the seed is. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. If you are not in this book, if you are not reading the word of God, if you are not on your knees seeking to know who God is, then you're getting the wrong seed. When you give your life to Christ, there's work to be done. There's work to be done in the soil of your vineyard. And in Matthew 13, we see the parable of the sower where it talks about the different types of soil. And it outlines three different types. There's a hard soil, a rocky soil, where a hearer hears the word. They become overjoyed, but their heart is not ready to receive the seed. And their heart is hard. And it doesn't take any root. And Satan comes in, and he takes the seeds, and there's nothing that happens in that person's life. There's a soil among thorns where you may hear the word, and the seed may start to take. It may start to settle in that soil, but you're too engaged in worldly influence. You refuse to remove the things in your life, the people and the things that will be a thorn that chokes out your seed. And you end up with a vineyard like this man in the parable in, in Proverbs where it's a, a ground just littered with nettles and thorns that show that there was life but had been choked out. And then there's good soil where you hear the word and you understand it. And then those seeds take and they get root and they get water from the living word of God and they produce fruit. They produce goods. They produce things, um, the, you know, the, the fruits of the spirit. Uh, last Wednesday night, I was teaching the kids and uh, I explained it to them this way. I said, the difference between hearing and listening, we were talking about when Elijah had ran away and he was hiding in a cave and God called him out. And then in the, this particular verse that we were going over, it said that God whispered his next instruction. He whispered the next command. And I, I thought it was interesting, and I explained to the kids, why do you think God whispered? Because when you whisper, you're forced to actively listen. You have to open your ears. You have to give effort to hear what's being said. And I explained it to them as if you hear a song in your car, I was like, if you can hear a song, and when the song's over, you remember hearing it, but you don't remember any of the lyrics. So, but then again, if you actively listen to it, if you put in the effort, you hear the lyrics, and you can remember some of those lyrics. And the Word of God is that same way. Those seeds are that same way. You can listen to it, you can hear it, but unless you're actually actively partaking in letting those seeds take root in your soil, it's not going to do you any good. We're all given a vineyard, and we will be known by the fruit that we produce or not produce, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit. Matthew 7, 16 through 17, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. See, God will save us, and we have initial excitement. And then that initial excitement may start to settle. And we find out we have roles and responsibilities. And too many of us become unwilling to do the work in the field, 
unwilling to cultivate and produce healthy fruit. But there's a responsibility for other Christian brothers and sisters who are producing good fruit. We can read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that while some walk in idleness, they might not be, they're not busy, but they seem to be busy bodies. They're wanting to appear busy. They're wanting to appear to be Christian. They're wanting to appear to have good fruit, but they're not busy doing anything. And Christian brothers and sisters, we are to command and encourage to work and or command and encourage them to work quietly and earn their own living. We all have a role individually in God's kingdom. We all have a responsibility individually to set our hearts on the things of God and to help nurture that relationship, to seek that relationship one-on-one with God, just your heart position and God. See, this man received the responsibility of a vineyard You may receive a responsibility of a vineyard dedicated to God, and you may have good intent, but intent does not produce fruit. Intent does not produce good works. Intent does not show the passerby the redeeming power of Christ's sacrifice. You must be active. You must be active in your faith, because faith and works go hand in hand. See, one by itself, faith by itself, or works by themselves, they're dead. In James 2.17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The great news is when you have faith, when you are walking in faith, when you are walking by the Spirit, the works just naturally come. You don't have to try to think, what should I do next? What's the next great thing for me to do? What's the next volunteer opportunity for me to do? Just walk in faith. And those works will naturally come. You will have a desire for the things of God. You will have a desire. You will start to seek diligently the call for your life. See, God has gifted you the life. He's gifted you the vineyard in which you are to care for. And it's your choice how and who will work your vineyard. God will never force you to have particular people in your life. He will never force you on which seed you need to have planted in your vineyard. It's your choice. But the seeds that you allow to be planted in your vineyard and the seeds that you plant in your vineyard, they will manifest in your life and they will speak to who provides the seed in your life. Whether it's the word or the world, it will be shown. We must constantly pay attention to what, to who, and to how our vineyards are being kept, cared for, and from where we get our seeds. And that brings me to the wall. The stone wall that had begun breaking down. See, a stone wall is strong, it's sturdy, it shows that you had an intent, it shows that you had a strong foundation to start with. They're designed for defense, they're designed for protection, to declare a border, a difference between one property to another. They're not easily bypassed, and it takes a great deal of force to move a stone or to break a stone. In the beginning of your Christian walk, you may have learned solid biblical truth, sound principles, good doctrine. But since then, there's been no care. There's been poor care to maintain or reinforce the foundation or to build upon that wall and make it stronger and sturdier and taller. And then the enemy removes a small stone at a time while you're sitting on top of the hill in your recliner. 
The enemy will come to your wall and he'll remove a small stone. Not a big stone, just small enough that he can drop a seed in. And he can start sprinkling them in from that small hole. And while you're sitting back, you look over and you may even notice the seed. You may even see these things coming into your vineyard. But, you know, no big deal. I got a big wall, right? A car can't get through this wall, but that seed can do a lot of damage. But it's not a big deal because you still got a big wall, right? So we get a warning in Romans 16, verses 17 through 18. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. If you're sitting back, allowing seeds to be sprinkled through your stone wall, and you don't think it's a big deal, that's a form of being naive. You have to be active in your faith. You have to continue to build on that wall. And then you have to ask yourself, what kind of wall are you building? Did you start with a stone, a stone foundation, and since then you've added wood pickets, or you've added maybe a couple of stakes and a string? Maybe you just put a sign up that says, property of God, and that's it. Maybe the grass is overgrown and you can't even see the stones there, but you know they're there. You know you're a Christian, but anybody walking by has no clue. They can't see the stones. They can't see your foundation. You haven't done anything to build it up. You haven't done anything to reinforce it. And the question is, are you even putting up a wall that makes you look separate from the world? Too many Christians believe that coming on Sunday morning for an hour is enough to gain another stone to add to your wall. And from Sunday at noon to the following Sunday at 9 a.m., there is not any work being done. There's not any time being spent in the Word. There's not any time spent on your knees praying. And you're deceived thinking that you're getting a stone one Sunday a month or one Sunday a week or however often you come. And you're deceived. Stones are not made on Sunday mornings. They're made in the quiet place on your knees between you and God. Don't, don't take me uh, or don't mistake what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that you should block people out, that you should build that shelter or that bubble in your life, and you shouldn't have any interaction with the world around you that's not saved. Because if we did that, how are we to reach the lost and dying world? How are we to fulfill the Great Commission if we're doing that? What I am talking about is being seen separate from the world, being in the world but not of the world. I'm talking about putting a barrier in place to protect your soul and to protect attacks from the enemy. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that testing again. It's talking about the valleys. By testing, by being willing to go into the valleys, by being willing to have your character built, by being willing to have your endurance built, and your hope produced. See, this wall is a picture of how much you blend with the world. It's a picture of how much you're willing to be separate from the world. And the further broken down your wall is, the blurrier that line becomes. The harder it is to tell where the world's property ends and God's property begins. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us that do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? 
Or what fellowship has light with darkness? When somebody walks by your vineyard, do you look different? Do you look like the vineyard next door that is not dedicated to God? Are you distinguishable by your actions, your speech, your behaviors? Because if you know that this world is not your home, then lost people walking by your vineyard should not feel at home in your vineyard. But they should feel like your vineyard has something to offer that theirs is lacking. If the worship team would come, I want to close by asking if you find yourself as a sluggard in your faith this morning, you need to wake up. It is past time to get serious about your faith. It's past time to get serious about your contributions to God's kingdom. You need to stop wasting the talents that God has given you. You need to diligently seek the call in your life, stop ignoring it, and actually seek it. You see, the enemy is working in your life to build on your complacency until eventually there is no distinguishable border from where the world ends and God's property begins. It's a matter of setting your heart and setting your face like a flint on the things of God, not turning to the left, not turning to the right, but keeping your eyes locked forward on the direction and the places where God is trying to send you. You can read in Philippians chapter 3, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call on on the upward call of God, excuse me, in Christ Jesus. Don't be caught as a sluggard when the king returns for his people. If you've been set to cruise control, if you are comfortable sitting on the top of the hill of your vineyard, if there's stones missing from your wall, or you have a weak wall or no wall at all, you need to repent. You need to ask God to help start guiding your life. Start going to the correct farmer's markets, getting the correct seed. Repent and give your life to God and trust him in the valleys. Know that he is with you in the valleys.